Well, dang, what a morning so far. Again, we are so glad that all of you decided to make Grumlaw a part of your morning, a part of your week. We certainly do not take that for granted that you continue to carve out this time every single week and, uh, and make Grumlaw online just, uh, just kind of a natural rhythm in your life. To all of you who are watching right now, uh, we know that a lot of you, you're probably itching to get back in, in person. Uh, we're really hoping that that really isn't too much further down the road. But again, I just want to thank you for continuing to make church online uh, a real priority. Uh, it would be so easy during this season to take a rather large step back in our spiritual journeys. And, and I want to commend all of you on continuing to fight for this time. On continuing to say no, like we, we are, we're going to make sure we get in front of our laptop, our, our phone, our computer, whatever that looks like, and, and we're going to make, again, church online a real priority. Uh, my, my prayer continues to be that once we're back in person, I and uh, the rest of the staff, we're kind of looking around going like, dang, these, these people are like more spiritually fit than ever before, where, where we come back actually stronger, not weaker. Because the reality is, is that these Sunday mornings, and I've said this over and over again, uh, this one hour a week here on Sundays, whether it's in person or online, it, it's never going to be enough to truly build a relationship with Jesus. The, the, the building of, of a true relationship with him, that, that comes about when we intentionally seek after Jesus every single day. And I've really been so encouraged over these past couple of months in particular to re receive so many messages, so many texts, so many calls from people letting me know that they're actually doing just that. That they're like, man, I, I finally dusted off and I'm starting to read that, that book, the Bible, and, and just reading about the life and the teachings of Jesus. I'm, I'm spending some time every single day just talking and sharing honest feelings with Jesus. And they share these like revelations with me that they're like, yeah, and it's crazy. I feel closer to God than ever before. It's like, yeah. That's kind of why we tell you to do this. Like, that's why that daily encounter is so important. And so to all of you that have been doing that, keep it up. If you haven't made making that a priority, it's, it's never too late to start that, to just start fighting again for that daily time with Jesus. Well, we're continuing in a series today. In fact, we're actually heading into part four of five titled, Didn't See It Coming. Because every single one of us who are watching right now, uh, whether you're young, whether you're old, whether you're, you're Christian, whether you're just kind of exploring black, white, we, we all throughout our lives, we're, we're caught off guard. We're, we're, we're hit with surprises that we just did not see coming. And, and what are we supposed to do with those types of seasons, those trials, those, those perceived setbacks? How, how are we supposed to react? Now, now, as I've been saying throughout the series, fortunately for all of us, this is certainly not a new 21st century phenomenon for human beings. P people have been dealing with this apparently since the beginning of time, since the dawn of, of man here on earth, which, by the way, as, as a result, has led some of you to have that view of God, that, that God is a God of surprises, that, that, that he almost takes like this strange pleasure in, in catching you off guard, but as I think you've probably likely already seen throughout this series, that really could not be further from the truth. And, and so since this isn't really a new predicament that people find themselves in, uh, we've been looking at some of the lives of real people, real people who really walked the earth that we read about within the pages of this book that we call the Bible. We, we, we've been learning about how these individuals in these, you know, didn't see it coming moments, lean into God rather than away from him. And as a result, they use their faith, the same faith that is available to every single one of you who are watching, and God's power to their advantage, but also to the advantage of the people around them. 
If you haven't been here for every single week of the series, I'd really, really encourage you to catch yourself up at grumlaw.com slash messages. You can listen to the messages there. You can watch the messages there. Or as always, you can find us under Grumlaw Church wherever it is that you happen to grab your podcasts. Now, one of the interesting things about these didn't-see-it-coming moments, these, these seasons in life, is, is that it exposes things about us that deep down you already knew were there, but, but maybe it wasn't quite as evident to the people around us. I, I've heard this said over and over again in a lot of different ways, but in a crisis, your weaknesses become even weaker and your strengths become even stronger. Those weaknesses become more obvious as well as your strengths. Those become more obvious as well. Let me give you a very practical example from my own life. Uh, At the beginning of this lockdown, at the beginning of this whole pandemic, whatever you want to call it, uh, when the situation was literally evolving minute by minute, and as soon as we made one decision for the church, it felt like in the next we were going back on what we had just said. Uh, in fact, on like the Friday when our whole state basically shut down, we had initially you know, sent out a video that was like well shot, well edited by our videographer. And it was like, hey, we are definitely staying open. And it wasn't like an hour later that we were like, nope, we're, <laughs> we're not doing that because that would just seem reckless at this point. And then I'm like shooting this shoddy video like in my bedroom with my iPhone, with like my kids yelling in the background, like, like we, we, we really didn't know how to react, right? Because the situation was just changing constantly. And that obviously wasn't unique to just the church. I mean, that was all of us. Needless to say, for me, it was a little bit stressful. Well, I, I'm already a, a very impatient person. And in the midst of this, I did not suddenly become more patient. No, that, that, that weakness only became more visible to the people around me. I really don't know how my wife put up with me for that first week, but I'm just being honest with you, just kind of confession here. For for that first week of COVID and this pandemic, I I was such a loser of a husband and a father because I would come home and just be like this most impatient, quick-tempered version of myself to date. I I literally had this moment where I just kind of like stopped myself in my tracks. I I got on my knees. I apologized to God. I, I apologized to my family. And I just said, God, I refuse, I refuse to continue living like this. God, God, will you please take over? I, I want my family. I want the people who are closest to me to see a whole lot more of you and a whole lot less of me. My, my weaknesses got weaker and my strengths got stronger. Uh, another thing that, that a crisis, these, these didn't see it coming moments, these surprises greatly expose are insecurities. The, the, those insecurities that, again, they, they've always been there, but, but in a crisis, they just kind of become more glaring, f- far more apparent not only to you, but again, the people around you. Uh, a common theme that, that, that I hear from people over and over and over again, and this is definitely even pre-pandemic, is that there's a lot of people that are fearful, that they're, they're insecure regarding the future specifically, where their child's going to go to college what their child is going to be taught in the public school system, job security, you know, that raise, that promotion, the the health of a loved one. And and when faced with a didn't see it coming moment, don't those insecurities become even more obvious to the people around you? Uh, Again, many of you parents already had insecurities surrounding the education of your children and then COVID hit. And, And suddenly you were now a teacher. That, that, that insecurity has now been exposed to everyone that you know. And, and that's the truth about uncertainty. Uncertainty exposes insecurity. And, and unfortunately, we've been preconditioned just as people to, to bury that insecurity, to, to, to almost pretend like these insecurities do not exist. 
Because insecurity, society would tell us, means that you are weak, that, that you don't have what it takes. So, so just kind of shove it down into that hole that it came from, and maybe, maybe it will just go away. But, but come on, to, to, to all of you who are, who are watching right now, how does that turn out? Does, <laughs> does it really just go away? Does ignoring the insecurity or insecurities just solve the problem? Not likely. And for far too many of us who are watching right now, our insecurities end up defining, and as much as you might not want to admit it, controlling our lives. That, to all of you watching right now, is not, is not the plan that God has for you. And this morning, we're gonna look to the story of a guy who, who I'm sure all of you have at least heard of, a guy who went by the name of Moses, a guy uh, who had some insecurities, a, a man who, like all of you watching, could have had his entire life defined by those insecurities. But God, but God had different plans, J- just like he has different plans for all of you watching right now. Now, now a little bit of background here. Uh, we learned a little bit a couple of weeks ago about this guy who went by the name of Joseph. He was an Israelite uh, who ended up in, in Egypt. It didn't seem like that's where he's going to end up, but that's where he ended up landing. And eventually he actually became second in command only to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt himself. Uh, later on, his entire family ends up joining him in Egypt along with a whole bunch of other Israelites. And, and we're actually told in the book of Exodus, Exodus, for those of you that don't know, this is one of the very first books of the Old Testament, the first half of the Bible. Uh, the Old Testament kind of records everything prior to the life of of Jesus. And in the book of Exodus, we're told here, in time, Joseph and all of his brothers, they died, which is what happens to everyone, ending that entire generation. But their descendants, the the Israelites, had many children and grandchildren. In fact, they multiplied so greatly that they became extremely powerful and filled the land. Eventually, a new king came to power in Egypt who knew nothing about Joseph or what he had done. Uh, In short, all Israelite credibility was lost. It's now hundreds of years removed from Joseph holding substantial power and influence in Egypt. And this new king, this new Pharaoh is looking around going, why are all these foreigners living in our land? And even more than that, how are they becoming like more in number than, than the natives who, who have lived here their entire lives? And because frankly of his insecurities, he, he feels threatened. He worries that if the Israelites continue to grow in numbers, eventually they're going to overthrow Egypt and Egypt will essentially be no more. It'll eventually just become basically an extension of Israel. And so he tries to formulate a solution. His, his hasty solution, he says, let's make every Israelite a slave. And he, and he begins to subject them to long, backbreaking, painful work every single day. Furthermore, He knows that just because he's working them hard, it doesn't mean that they are going to stop reproducing. And so in an effort to curb those numbers as well, he orders that every Israelite baby boy be killed. Quite the guy, this Pharaoh. There's a bit of a sidebar here, and this is just kind of bonus material, so take it for what it's worth. Don't we often make some of our most foolish decisions when we feel threatened? We, we, we chuck aside all conventional wisdom. We throw aside the sound thinking in the name of protecting ourselves. And, and ironically, those, those brass decisions that were made to quickly solve what we perceive to be as a problem end up being our undoing. 
It's exactly what Pharaoh's doing. He's making these brash, not really thinking through these decisions, not thinking through the long-term ramifications. And it's actually because of this edict to kill every Israelite baby boy that a resourceful Israelite mother places her baby boy in a basket in the Nile River. And she allows her, her baby boy to just float away because it certainly beats death, hoping that a compassionate person might find the child and, and spare his life. And that's actually exactly what happens. In fact, the compassionate person that ends up scooping up this child is actually an Egyptian princess, none other than Pharaoh's daughter. And, and she raises this Israelite boy as her own. This, this, this lucky boy who survived everything that Pharaoh was throwing at the Israelite boys. Anybody know his name? Those of you who grew up in church, you know Moses. Think of God's sense of humor here. Rather than Moses being killed by Pharaoh, he instead lives in the very home of Pharaoh for 40 years as an adopted Egyptian son. Now, I'm going to kind of quickly summarize this next section of, of Moses' life because there's no chance I can, you know, adequately talk about every detail of his life in, in a 30-minute, you know, message here. But I would challenge you, as I've been challenging you throughout this uh, series, I mean, make sure you go and actually read here in Exodus for yourself because, again, I promise you, I am going to leave out a whole lot of stuff. But we fast forward uh, to 40-year-old Moses. And one particular day, he's, uh, he's walking around outside and he witnesses an Egyptian beating on an Israelite slave. He, he knows his roots. He knows that he is an Israelite. And uh, we know that also Moses, through the readings here in, in the Bible, that Moses can have a quick temper. He, he can be a rather angry guy. And so he has his blood kind of boiling as he watches his fellow man being beat on. And he goes over and he intervenes and he starts to beat on this Egyptian. In fact, he beats him so violently that it, we're told that he kills him. He buries the body, hoping that he kind of covers it up. And the next day, actually, he sees two Israelites fighting. And this time, he doesn't like kind of violently approach the situation. He goes in and he tries to play the role of peacemaker. He's like, oh, you guys, you guys, you guys, stop fighting with one another. The Egyptians, you know, beat on you guys enough. Like, 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 don't need to be fighting with one another. And one of the men replies to Joseph, who appointed you to be our prince and judge? Are you going to kill me as you killed that Egyptian yesterday? Now Moses is scared because he's caught. And if the Egyptians find out that he murdered a fellow Egyptian, he's going to be in a lot of trouble. There will essentially be a bounty on his head. And so what does he do? Turns out he does what so many of us do when faced with the consequences of our behavior. He he runs, and he runs, and he runs. He runs hundreds of miles away, all the way to Midian, where he would live for the next 40 years. He settles in Midian. He marries a Midianite woman, and I'm sure he supposes that this is where he is going to spend the rest of his time here on earth. Well, 40 years later, when he's living in Midian, one day he's out tending his father-in-law's flocks, and he comes across a burning bush. But for some reason, the bush itself isn't burning up. So not terribly unusual in this desert heat to see something burning. What is unusual is the fact that the twigs and everything that makes up the bush, like nothing's happening. It's not crumbling. The flame's not going out. It's kind of like the fireplaces that so many of us have in our living rooms with those fake logs. The flames keep pouring out, but the logs don't end up get, getting burnt up. And so naturally, Moses, he's curious. And, and so he goes in for a closer look and it's at this point, it says, when the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush. Moses, Moses, God says. Here I am, Moses replied. 
Do not come any closer, the Lord warned. Take off your sandals for you are standing on holy ground. The fire wasn't making this area holy. It was the presence of God that was making the ground holy. God continues, he says, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. When Moses heard this, he covered his face because he was afraid to look at God. Moses in this moment, he recognized the difference between him and God. He he recognizes that, that God is of infinite qualitative difference between you and I. He, he, he recognizes the vast difference between God and mere human beings, that God is great, that God is superior. I, I, I don't want us to miss this. God will not compromise his character for us. God will not compromise his character for me. He is not going to compromise his character for you. He he does not compromise his his holiness, his greatness, his power, his capacity. He is the creator of the universe. He sustains and he holds the universe together and therefore is not surprised by our sufferings. He is not surprised by our difficulties. In fact, he is great and he is sovereign over all of it. Which I think as Jesus followers ought to bring us hope especially when we consider that in light of of what God says next. It says, then the Lord told him, I have certainly seen, I've certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I am aware of their suffering. He hears their cries. He hears your cries. He has tremendous compassion for those who cry out to him. In fact, so much so that he continues, he says, so I have come down to rescue them, rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. God is saying, I am here, I am near. I am here, I am near. Look, the cry of the people of Israel has reached me and I have seen how harshly the Egyptians abuse them. God wants Moses to know, and subsequently all of you who are watching right now to know, yes, I am great. Yes, I am superior, but I'm also good. God is great and powerful, but he's also gracious and kind. He's all-knowing, he's all-powerful, but he's also incredibly personal, incredibly compassionate, incredibly loving. He cares about every single one of you who are watching right now so, so much. And I think to a certain extent, that would have been somewhat difficult for for Moses to believe, especially in light of what he knows is happening right now to to his fellow man. But but if I'm honest, I, I don't think it should be as difficult for all of us to believe, all of us who are watching right now regardless of what you might be facing, because we all, as in all of us, have the benefit of hindsight. We all know that God is so kind, so compassionate, so loving, cares so much about us that he gave his one and his only son for you, for me, for all of us. That is how far the goodness of God goes 
So he says, now go. Go, Moses, for I'm sending you to Pharaoh. You, Moses, must lead my people Israel out of Egypt. God chooses Moses, not the other way around. And to all of you watching right now, that, that there isn't anything special about Moses. That there is nothing special that makes him qualified to do what God is asking of him. It is just that. It is a calling. God, all throughout history, we've seen that throughout this series, and right up to our present day, he has this knack for choosing the unqualified, the ordinary as his instruments to accomplish the extraordinary. I mean, look no further than, than Jesus himself. He, he leaves the earth and he leaves the message that he had brought, the hope of the world, the gospel, in the hands of a bunch of fishermen and tax collectors, a bunch of nobodies. And, and I believe that God is incredibly intentional about this because by choosing the ordinary, by choosing the overlooked, it, it brings much glory to him and it becomes ludicrous, absurd for any of us to try and take the credit. God becomes greater, we become less. God will not, will not compromise his character for us. And so God gives him this charge. Moses, you're going to lead my people out of Egypt. How does Moses respond? It turns out he responds exactly how every single one of us would respond. It says Moses protested to God. He didn't just raise his hand. He protested. He said, who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? He, he poses the same rebuttal to God not once but twice. He asks this question, who am I? I. My guess is, is likely the same question that you have asked of God at some point. If you've been following Jesus for any period of time, you've probably asked it in one form or another many, many times. That this question of who am I? God, are you sure that you have the right person? God, are you paying attention? Don't you know about my past? God, don't you know about my insecurities, my, my issues? God, not me, not me. Surely you would be better off with someone else. Come on, I, I know every single one of us, we've been there before. God, who am I? You've got the wrong girl. You've got the wrong guy. Now, it's interesting when we watch God's response here. We, we would maybe expect some motivational speech, some, some five-point message as to why Moses can do this. Maybe an inspiring Nike ad that's like, you got this. Like, you could do anything you set your mind to. That's, that's what Nike ads sound like. But, but God answered <laughs> with five words. I will be with you. Moses, I will be with you. No motivational speech. No, come on, Moses, you can do this. In fact, it's almost like God says the opposite. All of you watching right now, 
God is well aware of your shortcomings. He knows about your insecurities. He, he, he understands all too well how inadequate you may feel. He, he knows that you fall short. <laughs> Come on, it's why he gave us his son. So he simply tells Moses, tells all of us, I will be with you. Moses is thinking, I'm going to screw it up. I'm not good enough. I don't have the words. I'm full of fear and and anxiety and insecurity. And God's looking right back at him going, I know and you're right. I know and you're right. God knows you're insecure. God knows about your fears. God knows you will, left to your own devices, screw it up. God knows you better than you know you, which is precisely why he is looking at Moses, which is precisely why he is looking at every one of us watching right now, going, great news, you don't have to rely on you with all of your insecurity and all of your fear and all of your baggage. Fortunately for you, I will be with you. You're right, don't rely on you. You will screw it up. God is telling us, rely on me. We've been dancing around this throughout this series. Uh, Most of you watching right now, and and unfortunately, even most people who would call themselves Christians, you, you never get past that question of who am I? You perpetually stop right there. You bury yourselves in doubt in the unknown, our our fears, our insecurities. And and we never take any sort of a leap trusting that God is actually gonna come through. Now, if you're not a Jesus follower, what I'm about to say right now, it's gonna sound idiotic. It, It will sound certainly foolish, but one of the soundest pieces of advice that I've ever received from a mentor, and I remember this well, was just kind of talking to him about like, man, I really want to take my faith to the next level. I don't want to just be this lukewarm Christian. I want to be like all in. Like, like what advice would you give me? Like, what's my next step? And I'll never forget this, and hopefully you don't get hung up on the verbiage that he used here, but he said, Shay, constantly put yourself in situations where if God does not come through, you are screwed. Constantly put yourself in situations where God has to come through. As I've been saying throughout this series, isn't it not only possible, but but likely that the reason that most people watching right now have never experienced God's provision and have never experienced God's power is because you basically have never put yourself in a situation where you actually need God to come through? That the reason that the supernatural never occurs in your life is because it's completely unnecessary. You, in basically every area of your life, you have a backup plan for your backup plan. I remember another time a mentor challenged me in regards specifically to financial giving. Like my wife and I were feeling pretty good about ourselves. Like every year we up that percentage a little bit more. And he said, Shay, Unless you're giving, your financial giving, unless it's, not, unless it's making you uncomfortable, you are not giving enough. I'm so thankful for, for the, 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 the countless generous people that attend this church. But, but I doubt there are very few of us, and myself very much included, that are truly giving to the point where we're like, God better come through or we're going to be in trouble. So many of us stop every single time at who am I? Who am I? And the doubt 
and the insecurity creeps in and, and we fail to ever truly, completely rely on God. We're not desperate. We don't really need him to come through. We, we, we must stop reasoning with our insecurities. And, and instead, we, we must change the subject. Rather than continuing to ask this question, who am I? We need to change the subject. We need to ask, who is God? Overcoming insecurity is not a matter of capacity. Overcoming insecurity isn't even a matter of circumstance. Overcoming insecurity is a matter of changing the conversation. Taking the focus off of who am I and flipping it to who is God. As long as it's about you, you are never going to step into the fullness of what God wants to use your life for. Confidence comes from certainty of God's presence and God's power. Not in confidence that you're eventually going to be able to get over your insecurities. Not confidence in yourself. No, confidence. It comes from certainty of God's presence, of God's power. And so as I wrap up this morning, I want to leave us with a simple question, and this isn't just like some cute way to close a talk. I really want you to wrestle with this. I want you to get out a journal. I want you to bury, I want you to get this question and figure it out. What is God telling you to do? What's God telling you to do? And stop focusing on the outcome. Just focus on obedience. What is God telling you to do? And listen, I totally get it. God very rarely gives us the big picture. He, he very rarely reveals to us where he is leading us ultimately. He very rarely reveals to us the light at the end of the tunnel. He, he tends not to show us today how he will meet our needs tomorrow. Now, all he gives us is, is a promise. I think it's a pretty good promise. He just says, I will be with you. Now, by the way, we, we didn't really finish the story of Moses. Uh, again, I would invite you to go and read it for yourself. Read through the book of Exodus. Uh, God uses him in some pretty incredible ways despite his insecurities. Uh, there's a reason that every single one of you have heard of Moses. But, but right now, again, what, what, that, that question, what is God telling you to do? For some of you, maybe it's a conversation with a neighbor. You've been feeling that nudge, that prompting. It's like, oh man, I think I need to go share my faith, invite them to church. For, for some of you, it's you need to start giving. You, you, you've handed every part of your life over to God, except your finances. It is your last holdout. And you keep waiting for that right time. When you get that next raise, that right moment, it's never gonna come. You will continue to make ex excuses. It's time to just be obedient. For some of you, it's starting to serve, not even necessarily here at Grumlaw, but just selflessly giving of your time to something that will not benefit you. For, for some of you who are watching right now, I know what your next step is. It's baptism. And you have all these excuses why. I'm too old. I should have done it earlier. I don't want to have to share my story. It's excuse after excuse after excuse. But if you call yourself a Jesus follower, if you believe that Jesus came and he died on a cross for you, but that three days later he rose from the grave, you are called to be, obe be obedient. You are called to be baptized, to go public with your faith. You have no idea how your story 
how God might use your story to impact others. It's as simple right now as pull out your phone, text the word baptism to 810-510-0298. Take that step. For some of you, it's a daily time with him. You've continued to fight that. Again, make excuses. I have kids right now. It's really hard. They keep me up in the middle of the night. I already have to get up so early. Oh, my days are just so long. It's like, okay, if you really want a relationship with Jesus, it's time to just like make it happen. Wake up earlier. Stop watching as much TV. Put away your phone. Either he's a priority in your life or he's not. So you might be a career change. God might be asking you to sell something, get rid of something that's like, man, you kind of like it, but you don't really need it. Maybe God's just asking you just to give something away. You've probably sensed this uh, throughout this series and throughout this season, but it's during this season that, that, that I've truly been feeling from God that he, he's telling me that I, as the leader of this church, need to be bolder. That to a certain extent, God's saying like, hey, you need to start calling people out more rather than just continuing to coddle a lukewarm faith. But whatever that next step is, take it. Whatever God's prompting, nudging, pushing you towards, whispering about, yelling at the mountaintops about, do it. Get off the sidelines. I know it's scary. I know you're worried. But great news, God knows all about those insecurities and yet he still wants to use you. And even better news, you don't need to rely on you. Instead, God asks, he pleads, he invites for you to completely rely on him, on his strength, on his power. And, and as you rely on him, his faithfulness, it's, it's revealed. And as a result, your faith grows. Your confidence in God grows. And wouldn't you know it, that, that who am I, that, that insecure voice, it gets quieter and quieter and quieter. And the who is God? God is good. God is great. That gets louder and louder and louder. This, this past week, uh, a friend of mine, he, uh, he gave away his vehicle. He literally just went to another person and he said, here's the title, here are the keys, and it is now your vehicle. Now, what, what made this even a little bit more curious is the individual that he gave it to, uh, he didn't really need a vehicle. Like he had a running vehicle, but that there he was. He just still handed the keys and handed the title over to the person. And when asked why, like, okay, why did you do this? His response was very, very simple. Because God told me to. <laughs> because God told me to. Can we even imagine how our world would change if Jesus' followers simply started saying yes because God told us to? That we needed nothing more than God told me to, so I'm going to say yes. That would transform relationships. That would transform marriages. That would throw our families upside down. That would, that would grab the attention of communities. That, that would grab the attention of our world.